You're listening to Witch Wednesdays, your weekly podcast source for all things witchcraft in the modern world. Welcome back to Witch Wednesdays. I'm Steph, and I have a fun guest here with me today. Some of you might know who this is because they do have a podcast, but I'm going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves and let you know where you can find them online. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Astra. I am a co-host of the podcast Test Tubes and Cauldrons, where we talk about the intersection of science and spirituality. Um, I am a ceremonial magician, primarily a Solomonic practitioner who works in the grimoire tradition. If you want to find me, we have our own Discord for the podcast, which is one of the easiest ways to get a hold of me. Outside of that, I also have an Instagram. It's just uh, at Logical Witch. Pretty easy to find, um, except that I think the witch has two C's because the other one was taken. But that's that's who I am. Um, that's a bit about my background and where you can find me. Thank you so much. And I'm very excited to chat today and sort of talk about how it is that you practice for multiple reasons. First of all, your podcast actually came up on the survey. I do the survey at the end of every year to see who the listeners want to appear on the podcast in the upcoming season. And you guys were on that survey. So I know that everybody wanted to hear from you. And also I am just personally interested because when you talk about your practice and how you practice and what you've been doing, I understand all of those words individually, but not together. So I was very (laughs) excited when you were like, I was like, I understand what ceremonial is. I understand what grimoire is. And I'm like, how, what, what? These are all together in one sentence and I don't understand any of it. So I would love for it to start there because I'm sure some of my listeners have the same questions of like, what does that all even mean? And how do you practice? So um, all of those words kind of encompass a very large collection of practices. For example, ceremonial magic, there are, there are many, many different things that fall within the realm of ceremonial magic. It's not strictly just Solomonic. It's certainly not grimoire only. Um, if you're curious about the kind of things that fit under that umbrella, Llewellyn actually has a really good book called The Big Book of Ceremonial Magic that breaks down kind of the most popular um, facets of ceremonial magic that are commonly talked about within the community. I mean, that's a really good way to kind of get your feet wet. But so I think they talk about like the Lima, there's some Gold Dawn stuff in there. They have a section on planetary magic, alchemy, all of that is kind of encompassed in it. Um, specifically, what I do is Solomonic magic within the ceremonial kind of umbrella and Solomonic magic also is is generally misunderstood. People oftentimes think that it's just the lesser key of Solomon, which is which is a grimoire, um, but it's one of many within kind of the Solomonic family of grimoires. So as a Solomonic magician, to me, that means that I follow the general structure and hold to kind of the Solomonic framework within my practice when it comes to working with spirits. Um, and then the grimoire tradition, part of that is because my practice mainly focuses on kind of testing and experimenting with all the different grimoires that have been published. And that can look like many, many different things. Um, the Solomonic grimoires are certainly the ones that I started with. That's why I call myself a Solomonic magician, but I've also expanded outside of that. So there are other grimoires that were written around the same time or a couple of centuries later. Um, specifically like the Heptameron is a grimoire based on kind of terrestrial spirits here, like on the physical plane. Um, you have the Elisadarian, which actually was just published by Joseph Peterson which is a precursor to the Heptameron that I plan on working in the future. There's also plenty of grimoires that are just about the Psalms. So the Book of Gold is a 17th century grimoire that is all about Psalm magic and astrological magic associated with it. Um, And then there's like the Book of Oberon, which is more of a folk magic grimoire um, that talks about like fairies and things of that nature. Um, Good Lord. The Arbitel is like a Christian-based grimoire that I work pretty heavily with, which includes um, some discussions on the Olympic spirits 
And then you got the Pentacles from the Greater Key of Solomon. And I mean, there's so many. The Book of um, Honorius, which is a grimoire that was put together by clergy of the church, um, kind of to maintain it as the church began to push magic out of its system um, and, and lots of things. So kind of, I pull a lot of um, inspiration from many of the different grimoires to synthesize my own practice. Um, but even then, I typically also will just work a grimoire the way it's written, um, first to get a feel for the spirits and also the tradition that it pulls from. That is so interesting to me. And I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a very niche sort of area that I don't see a lot of witches practicing at least as far as what's depicted on social media. Yeah, I mean, to me, it doesn't seem niche, but I've also, <laughs> I engaged with it pretty consistently. So I think that's probably skewed my perspective. <laughs> um, within the ceremonial side of things, it's actually not quite as niche, but certainly within the witchcraft community, um, it's not talked about very often. People oftentimes see the grimoires because they're spoken of in a very ceremonial context. And the Key of Solomon, if you actually read the, the grimoire, specifically the Greater Key of Solomon, it has instructions for all of the tools that you have to make, the specific planetary hours, um, a whole like ritual um, kind of framework that you base for your spirit conservation. It can seem very, very overwhelming. And if that's the first grimoire that people approach, they oftentimes get really kind of freaked out by it. And they're like, this is a lot of work. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Um, and so it's not very popular in the witchcraft community. What's kind of interesting about that though, is that there are plenty of grimoires that are far more simple that Cameron is one of them. Um, and then also you have like the DSIC method, which, which was a method of conjuration into crystals that was proposed by Trithemius, um, which is very simple. It requires like two tools. Um, I actually have a setup on my altar <laughs> right over there, but um, it's it's a very simplest, like simplistic way of working with the spirits. And that's something that I think could actually become very popular in the witchcraft community because people already kind of do that. Like scrying spirits is something that is already done. Um, and so, yeah, there is a separation, but I think it's more because of a misunderstanding of maybe what the grimoires actually are and less of um, people just like not wanting to do it. And there are plenty of folk grimoires too, like the PGM, the Greek Magical Papyri, is a perfect example of a grimoire that is very eclectic and has very folk magic kind of based rituals in it. You also have some other ones like the grimoire of Arthur Gauntlet, which is another, I think it's 17th century grimoire. And it's interesting because if you read it, Back in the medieval period, oftentimes grimoires were kind of passed around to magicians and they would take one and copy down what they wanted to record from it. And then they would pass it on to the next magician and so on and so forth, or it would be on loan to them for a certain period of time. And so in some of these later grimoires where different um, earlier grimoires are circulating, you'll see um, kind of random parts taken out and put into this new one. So in the grimoire of Arthur Gauntlet, for example, um, you will see that the very first page talks about some guidelines working with Cyprian, and then it pulls some stuff from the Tamron, and it pulls some stuff from the Key of Solomon. And then later, as you go forth, it becomes more folk of magic e essentially. And there's some uh, spells about like using apples. I think there's like six spells regarding apples, and some with fertility and some with love. Um, and so it, you kind of get this very broad range within the Grimoire tradition. The earlier ones are tend they tend to be more ceremonial in nature, but some of the later ones are very folk friendly. Um, those are the ones that I think might actually do quite well in the witchcraft community. I love it. it. It all sounds incredibly interesting and history-based, which I love. And I would love to know how you got started down this path. What has your practice looked like that like even led you to this point in finding all of this information and deciding that this was your area? 
Yeah, I actually started as an eclectic witch. That was my kind of introduction to magic. Um, but it wasn't enough for me. There's, it felt like there was something missing. And so I had a friend who introduced me to planetary magic and that led to <laughs> my introduction to ceremonial magic. And then I found the grimoire tradition and I initially found it through the key of Solomon, which is pretty common. That's the first grimoire that most people find, or at least are told about. And I decided to work it. Um, I, in hindsight, like I think Truly, the best way to, to understand the grimoire tradition is to work it the way it's written first. That's not to say you can't make changes later on, but I do think it's best to hold yourself to the book the first time you go through it. And you can't do it perfectly because there are things that like, for example, you have the black-handled knife. You may not want to engage with blood and that calls for black cat's blood. So pick something else, right? Like it's, that's fine. Um, but I wanted to work it. So I decided to go ahead and make all the tools according to the timings. Um, and, you know, it took me almost a year to get everything up and running. But during that time, actually, I had also been reading um, the big Golden Dawn Black book by Israel Bogarty. And in there, it has a lot of, and also um, uh, High Magic, which was written by an author that I currently forget. But um, both of them have rituals in them that are used for their initiates to kind of bring them up to speed. And so while I was preparing all of the instruments, I was also doing these rituals like the LVRP, the LIRP, the invoking um, hexagram rituals, like all, all of them. Um, and kind of to just like help get myself into the appropriate place where then I could actually engage with the spirits in the way that I wanted to. So after about a year of doing all of that work, I then did my first ritual and it worked sort of, <laughs> um, and, but like the experience was, was really good and I learned a lot from it. And so I decided to try again and I did. And then from there, it became a matter of, okay, I've worked this grimoire. Let's go work another one. Let's just try a different one. And then I popped over to the Heptameron and started working the Heptameron. And then I began learning the DSIC method. So I kind of just have popped around, but I initially started as, a, as an eclectic witch. So I, I very much so understand kind of the witchcraft community and the things that they're looking for, which is why I try to um, be a kind of like mediator, I guess, between the ceremonial <laughs> and the witchcraft community, um, showing where the similarities really exist. So we don't have to be so, so distant from each other. Is there anyone that you work with or are you a totally solitary practitioner? I am technically solitary, but I have groups of people online that I know who um, we work very closely with each other. So I have some Arabic magician friends that I work with pretty closely regarding some astrological stuff. Um, they've also been doing a bunch of translations of some Arabic grimoires, and so I've taken some prayers and done some testing with them as well. Um, and then, of course, I have other groups of friends and just people that I follow, like on YouTube and their blog posts who I'm not necessarily like really close friends with, but people that I admire, I consider them, I guess, unofficial mentors um, who have kind of guided me through some things and helped me design my own rituals that I've been experimented with and taken, you know, other places. So I, I am technically solitary, yes, but I have communities online that I engage with very frequently. I love that. I same <laughs> agree, agree with that completely. Yeah. So what led you to starting a podcast? What was the inspiration and what can, if listeners are totally new to your podcast, what can they expect? So Testers and Cauldrons was born out of this idea that there, there seemed to be either two perspectives. One was that um, magic and science could not coexist at all, or that, um, People were trying to use science to prove the craft. And um, oftentimes these conversations in, like included people who maybe weren't actually scientists and didn't have kind of the, the background to really approach this in a scientific manner. And so as a scientist myself and the two other co-hosts who have scientific backgrounds as well, 
um, I brought this to their attention. I was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing, starting this podcast and talking about these topics. Would you be interested in, in joining and helping me? And they said yes. And so it was kind of born from that. The goal was just to talk about science correctly and in like an appropriate manner and then talk about the craft outside of that. So we, you know, we, we, we've done everything. We're talking about placebo effect to talking about kind of the science of prayer and like does prayer actually statistically significantly cause a change in anything? Or is it really just uh, kind of this placebo effect thing where it's just you pray and it makes you feel better? Um, we've done, we've done tons of things, talked about ways to research, um, even, you know, I think we're playing an episode on quantum mysticism, which should be really interesting when we bring that up. Um, and so it was just this, this uh, trying to bring actual scientific analysis to what people are trying to do in the magical community, because it's, it's very dangerous for people who aren't versed in science to be talking about kind of the, this interconnectedness between magic and, and um, science especially within like the quantum field. So quantum is something where people often attribute with with magic and the craft and they use it as a kind of proof as to how things these things are connected. But really within quantum science, you, most quantum scientists at least I know and I talk to on a on a semi frequent basis um say that we don't know anything. Like the quantum experiments are and the results from them are certainly not proof of anything. It's an observation that can be used to then inform future experiments, but people oftentimes take it as this absolute truth when there is no such thing in science, and then they try to equate it with magic. So it was just trying to bring kind of this critical analysis to that kind of thinking and really set some information straight from people who actually study science. Which is so interesting to me because I've always said that they go hand in hand, but I have no science background myself. <laughs> I was an English major, so um, I have nothing made brain has just never worked well in that realm, but I have always said that they work well together, but that's sort of my only stance on it um, because I just don't know. So well, it's really it's, great that your um, podcast is a resource for that. Yeah. And it's, I think it's important for us to remember too, that like in history, um, science and magic were oftentimes very connected. You have alchemy, which was both a chemical and also a magical process in many ways. Um, astrology and astronomy were once considered the same thing. And so it's also this kind of understanding of we can look back at the old writers like Pliny and even Aristotle and back even further um, Paracelsus and these people who were both magically inclined and also were known as very good scientists in their time and how them being one or the other does not discredit um, the knowledge and information that they brought to both topics. Uh, so it's kind of a, like, let's, let's remember how interconnected they were, but then let's also not forget that just because they've split, that doesn't mean that they can't inform each other, right? I, I do oftentimes say that science and magic are connected, but like the, the way in which they are connected is something that still has to be elucidated. Um, and so I think we have to be really careful when we attempt to connect them in ways that maybe aren't the most appropriate. I think that's great that you have, that you all have that sort of background and can chat logically and educated on this matter. Um, I think that's a great resource to have out there. And I would love to touch on, because you just brought it up, planetary uh, magic, because you have mentioned before that you do uh, a lot of sort of astral timing for your magical workings. And that is something that I have touched on on this podcast, but I have never like dedicated an episode to it. So I would love to chat about what that even means and how you use that in your own practice. 
Absolutely. Astrological timing is something that it's a really easy thing to incorporate into your craft because there are levels of the intensity that you can use regarding astrological magic. So I oftentimes tell people to start, all you need to know is the the days of the week and the planets that they're ruled by. So Monday is ruled by the moon, Tuesday by Mars, Wednesday by Mercury, uh, Thursday by Jupiter, Friday by Venus, Saturday by Saturn, and then Sunday with the sun. Um, and those are some really easy correspondence. So you want to do a money well working, you do it on Thursday, where you have this kind of subtle energy of Jupiter surrounding the entire day. If you want to take it a step deeper, you can always look into planetary hours. Um, the way the planetary hours and days have kind of been described to me is the planetary hours is like a beam of really intense light of that particular planetary energy in that moment. So you put in then the planetary day is kind of this like subtle um, environment, right? So like Thursday can be very prosperous. It's, it has this very Jupiterian energy, but it's not like super direct and super evident. Whereas the hours are like this beam of mercur mercurial energy or something. Um, each day it typically has three of the same planetary hours. Like you will have three hours of Mercury between the day and the night, um, three hours of Jupiter, so on and so forth. Um, and so trying to align your spell work with the hours is also something you can do. And you can even start doing that with mundane things as well. So like when I do anything related to money, I either try to do it on a Saturday and on a Saturday, on a Thursday or during a Jupiterian hour. Ideally, I could choose a Jupiterian hour on the day of day of Jupiter, which is Thursday. And that's kind of the best of both worlds. So even like you can incorporate that into your mundane life as well. Most of my creative pursuits, I try to either begin them during a mercurial hour, or I will do them on Wednesday. Um, and then same with like Saturnian things. So discipline, if I'm going to like try and come up with a plan for a long-term plan to try and hold myself to learning something or doing something, I might do that on a Saturday during the Saturnian hour. Um, so that can also be included in your mundane life as well to kind of add an extra magical nest to your day. Um, but outside of all of that, I use planetary magic mostly for my operations and then specifically more in depth regarding like astrological talismans. So when I first came to magic, I learned about a grimoire called the Picatrix, which is an Arabic grimoire um, that is all about astrological talismans, creating images at very specific times to have something happen. So um, with, with the Picatrix, there's very specific timing astrologically. It's not just planetary days and hours. It is when... Um, the first house is in this sign ruled by this planet, which has to be in this other sign. It's it's a whole thing. It's kind of complicated, um, but I was really curious about it. And so I, I learned astrology for that reason, because I wanted to begin actually working the Picatrix and doing the talismans as it was described. Um, and so any talismanic work that I do is usually very astrology heavy. It gets into like deep, deep astrology, but Outside of that, I also use planetary magic for my working. So at that point, it's less necessarily about like um, the specific placement of the houses and stuff, although that can certainly play a role. So for example, Jupiter and Aries right now is a really good way to, a really good time rather, to do spell work about kind of taking action and doing things that will help you become prosperous or opening opportunities. Because Aries is a cardinal sign. It's a, it's a fire sign, a very active, like go get them kind of feeling. And then Jupiter being in Aries, it's all about prosperous and opening opportunities and all of those things. So kind of working together, it's a very active Jupiterian energy versus like what when Jupiter was in Pisces most recently, um, kind of had the total opposite. So that those kind of things can also influence your workings. But generally speaking, for magic, I kind of just pick one or two planets, and I ensure that they're in a good position. Magically speaking, if you're doing like electional um, astrology or timing for your spell work, then always ensuring the moon is in a favorable position is one of the best things you can do. So that's usually one of them that I'm concerned about. 
And then whatever the spirit that I'm working with maybe has relation to, that's the other planet that I'm concerned about. Uh, this is specifically most important for certain spirits over others. So the Olympic spirits from the Arbitel are spirits that I have a very deep relationship with. And um, for example, if you call in the Arbitel, it instructs you to call them during their planet, the first planetary hour, and they do not keep them longer than their hour. So that's that's an instance where working with the spirits, the planetary hours are very, very crucial. You call them at the beginning and you let them leave at the end and you don't keep them over unless you have a really strong relationship with them. I've never tested the trying to hold them over because I don't want to like <laughs> mess anything <laughs> up. Um, so like that's an instance where it becomes really crucial. And even things like um, calling Gabriel, which is the, who's the archangel of the moon during a lunar hour, maybe on a Monday, you'll, you might get a much better result because it's easier for that energy to come through because of kind of the synchronicity between um, the alignment of the celestial and the physical, right? So those are some ways you can use planetary magic in kind of your day-to-day -day spellcraft, both in timings of when you're doing things, um, ensuring that the planetary hours and days are aligned to kind of assist spirits coming through. Um, and then... Also, if you want to get really into it with like electional astrology um, and talismanic magic, you can use those to figure talismans as well. Do you find that it takes you longer or a good amount of time to sort of set everything up and be able to figure out the correct timings for everything rather than just sort of like throwing something together? Yeah. So there are some magicians who... Uh, will use electional astrology for everything. And I think that's fine because when you do that, you oftentimes get very, very um, powerful results because you have waited for such a long time to ensure that this is like the perfect time to do an operation. But practically magic is supposed to also be about your day to day. And so sometimes that is not really the appropriate thing to do, um, or maybe you just don't have the time to wait. And that's also completely fine. I think when it comes to kind of day-to-day -day magic, the electional needs to be put aside because it's not going to be as relevant and you still want to be practicing magic. I actually was having a conversation with a friend about this fairly recently about how um, astrological timing, like very specific timing, sometimes can serve as an excuse for people to not, not to practice magic because they're waiting for this perfect moment. In reality, you can do things in moments that are like good or better than maybe a different moment, but still fall within the same day. So the intensity an alignment that you might want to have should vary based on what you want to do. Um, so you don't have to wait for the perfect Jupiter alignment to do a money bowl, right? So, so it's kind of up to the practitioner to decide what are the things that you do care about enough to plan so far ahead. Like I have a couple spells in 2024 and even in 2025 that there are specific elections for um, that I, I waiting for those elections is certainly worth it in my opinion. And so I've scheduled them out for that. But there are plenty of day-to-day -day things where it's really just a matter of the planetary hour is the moon in a favorable aspect and the moon changes all the by hour. Like it's, she's always out there moving. Um, and you have whole lunar cycles that go through in a month. And so it'll change signs and change houses. And it's a pretty constant adjustment. And so you can, if you're waiting for like a lunar specific um, timing, you might have to wait on most a month. And that's usually you can usually find something in there to worry too. And you also have some other things like the lunar mansions are the, the 28 mansions of the moon. Um, and those go through an entire month. So if there's a lunar mansion, then it's specific to what you want to do. And you don't have time to wait for a specific astrological election. Use a lunar mansion. It will give you the same kind of effect. So there are ways to kind of um, get things done faster. So you're not waiting forever. But if you do have a bigger thing that you want to make sure you do that has the best result of, of success, that might be an instance where you do look ahead. Um, a couple of years and plan things out. 
I actually write all of my magical workings in like a calendar. <laughs> and this was something that was recommended to me by a friend. And then um, that way I can kind of track things out a year ahead and for all my plan breakings at least. And then if anything else comes up from there, you just got to do it with the best you can do. That is so, I was going to ask you, how do you plan so far ahead? Because I have never done that. So that is so interesting to me. Do you, are you just looking ahead and, and seeing what sort of lines up or do you have these specific workings that you're like, I really need to do this and it's worth it to wait until that perfect timing comes up? So there's some repetitive workings that I, that I have that are specific to some astrological times. Um, the thing, the problem sometimes is like, um, for example, Saturn's in Aquarius and he's been in Aquarius for quite a long period of time, but it's coming to an end and soon Saturn will ingress into Pisces, I think in mid-March, like March 10th or 11th. Um, and so if you have any kind of like, uh, Saturn in Aquarius, which is in this domicile. So like that Saturnian energy is very apparent right now. And this like kind of longevity. So if you intend to start a project that you want to last for a long period of time, doing it before March is some is a good thing to do because Saturn is in her domicile and it's in his domicile rather in the first, um, the first house, depending a little bit, but generally speaking. Um, and so it, that this is like a good time to do that. But then when Saturn, Saturn enters into Pisces, he'll be there for another couple of years. Um, and so you'll have kind of this extended period of Pisces. So it's really a matter of, okay, how long do I have before this planet ingresses into this sign? Or when will it next ingress into a particular sign or be in a certain position to allow me to do this working? If it's important enough for me to wait, I will. But there are some like Saturn, which takes forever to move through the zodiacal wheel, but it's not worth waiting at that point. So I might do something else instead. Um, so it's all kind of about being flexible. I'm always looking at the astrological weather. Um, so I can, I'm, I track it daily. Um, I have listened to like tons of monthly forecasts. Um, and then I also just kind of click through, I have the app that I use that I click through, you know, months and years to kind of see where everything will be. And then if I see something like, oh, this looks like a particularly good election for something I might plan to do, um, a spell related to that at that point. But I also have my, my weekly and my monthly spells that I do kind of outside of, of planetary timing. Like I work with the saints, um, as well. And those don't, I don't rely on planetary timing for, I can kind of just petition them to do things whenever I need it. So it's, it's having kind of all these different magical avenues where um, I'm doing what is best in the moment for what I'm trying to do. Do you have any resources? You mentioned an app. Do you have any other resources that you recommend for somebody who's just dipping their toe in um, to anything astrological, planetary magic? Um, if they are just getting started, are there any good like books or calendars or anything? Yeah. Um, so astro.com has... A lot of really great resources. It has an ephemeris, which if you aren't familiar with an ephemeris, it's essentially um, a very large book that has all kind of all the astrological placements for a period of time. So on astro.com, you can find an ephemeris for a very specific year. And then you can look and say, oh, well, the sun will be in this sign at this point in the year. And then if not that year, you can go to the next year and so on and so forth. So if you're looking for a specific election or a planet to be in a certain sign, you can look through the ephemeris dates to try and figure out when that would be. Um, astro.com also has something called like a chart of the moment or a chart of a day. And that's always good just for people to kind of study the movement of the planets. So I, when I, before I actually decided to buy Astrogold, which is the, the, um, software that I use, it's kind of expensive. So don't recommend it for beginners, but before <laughs> I had that, I was just going on to astro.com and doing my chart of the day. And that way I was able to track the movement of the planets and then kind of watch 
like life and the news and world events and see how everything aligned with the planets and where they are and what they're aspecting. Um, and kind of using that has helped me see the astrology in mon the mundane world, let alone the magical world as well. So I think um, those are two things to get you started. If you want to actually learn astrology, um, there's a good book. Oh gosh, I don't remember the full title, but it's called Traditional Natal Astrology. It's a green book. You can find it on Amazon um, and you can also find it in like second, most a lot of secondhand stores where I got mine. Um, let me find the author really quick. Traditional Natal Astrology. Here it is. Okay, so Traditional Natal Astrology. Um, it's a green book and it's by Charles Obert. That's a really great book to kind of have a basic understanding of natal astrology, but you can then apply to a lot of astrological things magically as well. So if you are curious, that's a really good place to start. It's not a super big book, so hopefully it won't be too terrible to get through. Um, but I think that those are really good starting places. There's also, if you are more interested in planetary magic, magically speaking, there's a book by David Rankin and Sarita Diest called Practical Planetary Magic. And that really covers planetary magic in a very holistic kind of framework. So it talks about the Olympic spirits, it talks about the archangels, it talks about the planets and all their correspondences. And um, you get into a bunch of kind of other things that are important to know. And it also includes like deity work and all, all of that. It has it all in there. Um, that's a very good kind of like big, big overview. There is a book um, on practical, practical planetary magic and rituals. I can't remember the author of. I read that book. I think it's fine if that's like how you want to work with the planets. I don't personally love it. It's certainly not my recommendation, but a lot of other people do love it. And so I encourage you to check it out regardless. Um, and then there's also another planetary magic book by Dennings and Phillips, which Dennings and Phillips are based on the Aurum Solis um, initiatory tradition. So that book is very heavily kind of influenced by their tradition, but it does have some initiation rites into some planet, working with some planetary spirits. If you are kind of more intermediate or advanced in your craft, that's a good book to check out. Probably not as friendly for beginners, um, but it's there when you feel like you're ready for it. So those are all kind of the books that I started with when I was in planetary magic. And then from there, it's been conversations with the spirits and kind of learning from them to expand and grow. Oh, thank you. Great list. Do you have any practices then that you would say that you do regularly, if not daily, maybe weekly? Yeah, I have a couple actually. <laughs> so I I love St. Michael, um, Michael the Archangel, and I have protections that revolve around him and his involvement um, kind of in my home and, and myself. I also work really closely with St. Joseph. He is a patron of mine, kind of, um, not officially more, more just like I work with him very closely because he is the patron saint of workers. And I, as somebody who really enjoys working and who sometimes feels kind of lost or like when, when the work gets rough, right. And you're like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Um, I've often found he has really helped kind of revive my love of that, both in both career-wise and then also not. So I also consider like learning to be a form of work. And so when I'm not feeling like motivated to do some stuff like that, I will petition St. Joseph to assist. Um, I work with St. Albert. I have like a weekly devotional to St. Albert the Magnus, who is a um, saint that was very heavily involved with science. And so being a scientist myself, that's kind of the perfect mesh of both the magical and the mundane. Um, I do daily prayers. So um, I utilize some prayers from the Key of Solomon and then also from some other grimoires that I say daily, um, both in the morning and in the evening, just to kind of set my mind right with um, God and make sure that I'm approaching the day in the most the best way I can. 
Um, those are kind of the big things. I, when I do my daily prayers in the morning, I oftentimes will recite a prayer to the planet of the day as well. There's actually something that Jason Miller did. It was, it was a really long time ago, but it was called the 48 calls of the, I think it was just the 48 calls. I think is what it was anyways. But what he essentially did was he had a prayer for every single day, but it was, you would have like a, um, a week that was dedicated to the moon, but then you would go through each of the days and their planet, planetary rulers and the prayer would change based upon the planetary rulers. So like on Monday, you would have a very lunar because it'd be like the moon on a Monday. So it was, it's a very lunar prayer. But then on Tuesday, it would be still the moon is kind of the main focus, but it would have kind of a martial twist to it because Tuesday is ruled by Mars and so on and so forth. There was a time where I did all of those um, daily as well and I changed them every single day. And I found that to be a really fulfilling practice. Um, I used to do like the LBRP and the LARP and a couple of those like every single day. I wanted to get back into that, but I'm really bad about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really equated to plan at the moment. So really, um, I have my weekly petitions to use from the saints and then my daily prayers are kind of the most common practice of mine. If I'm really good, <laughs> I'll do some planetary work, um, some just devotional work with the spirits as well. But um, that's, that doesn't happen quite as frequently. So <laughs> work in the prayers is kind of the daily stuff in the weekly. Oh, I love it. Before we wrap up, do you have any last minute advice for listeners who are looking to start or grow their practice this year? I think the big piece of advice I have is just be gentle with yourself. I think um, a lot of times in the community, we are really harsh on ourselves when we make a plan and it doesn't go according to plan. But really the big thing is, is just pick yourself back up and start, start again. Um, I have had weeks and even months where things have just been so crazy in real life that I haven't been able to maintain things. And that happens. It's a part of life. It's a cycle and it's okay. Your spirits, your guides, the gods, they all understand. I've never had a spirit be like, you didn't, you know, say a prayer to me two days in a row. Like, how dare you? We're done. I've never had that experience. Um, and so they're often very understanding. And I guess that would be kind of my biggest thing. Like, it's okay if you, if you let it slide, just pick it back up and try again. I think a lot of practices like scrying is a big thing in ceremonial magic that, you know, we oftentimes say it's a good way to kind of get familiar with trying to see the spirits. Now you shouldn't be relying on scrying in my opinion, but it's a good beginning, but like something like scrying requires practice. It requires this kind of daily dedication to it. And if you forget or you get off track, it's okay. Just get back on and start doing it again. Um, that's how you maintain discipline, but also in a way you're also being very kind to yourself. Um, don't be afraid to ask for magic, to do magic for even super small things. Um, I think there's this other misconception that like magic has to be super huge. Sometimes magic to me is, is praying a Psalm and that's it. Or like writing on a piece of paper and carrying it with me as a reminder, um, of what it's supposed to be doing. So like, it doesn't have to be super big and super pompous. Magic can be prayers. It can be reading the Psalms, writing the Psalms. It can be writing a petition to yourself. Just so when you write it down, then you're thinking about it. And then if you think about it, it does, it, maybe it has, maybe it is placebo effect, right? Who can actually say, but even if it is, it doesn't mean that it's not meaningful and useful to you. And that's really the most important thing. So just, I guess, don't, don't practice by what you see online and what people are telling you to do, do it in the way that makes sense for you, because it should be different for everybody. And this kind of, this way is right mentality is not healthy and nor is it effective. So just do it, do it your way and call it good. <laughs> No, that that's great advice. I think we all feel 
a little bit of that pressure, especially when we look at what other people are doing, that we feel like we are not doing enough, we are not doing it correctly, and there really is no correctly in in what you're practicing. It all is going to be unique to you. So that's great advice. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here today. You shared so much expertise and so many things (laughs) that I need to go research now and like look for on. Um, I have a whole list in front of me to, to go look up. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was super fun. And I will have everything linked over in the show notes at whichwednesdays.com as always. So you can find everything that we talked about. Um, But that is everything that I have for this week, listeners. Thank you again. And I will see you next week. Need even more? Subscribe to Patreon and YouTube for exclusive bonus content. Order a themed witchcraft box every month through Witch Wednesdays on Etsy. Be sure to follow on Instagram at Witch Wednesdays Podcast. Find all these links and more at witchwednesdays.com.